Hey there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Before we get into the podcast episode today, I want to invite you to head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com. Yes, you did hear that correctly, overwhelmsucks.com. Pick up my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. I know that when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you want to do is read a long report, so I intentionally made this free guide simple to read and most importantly to implement so get your free guide 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm at overwhelmsucks.com he is known as the pit bull of personal development Larry Wingett has established himself as an icon in the world of personal development and self-help. You won't find many people who don't know him as a result of his five national bestsellers, his thousands of onstage appearances, or his many regular television appearances. Larry was the first to be willing to take on the positive attitude, motivational speakers, and the law of attraction bozos, his word, not mine, with his common sense back-to-the-basics approach. Larry still believes that hard work and excellence are the keys to success and communicates like that like no other person on the planet can. This episode originally released on the Mark Stucheski podcast back on June 27, 2019. Enjoyed this refreshingly honest episode with the pit bull of personal development, Larry Winget. Larry Winget, welcome to the Mark Stucheski podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, for the three people in the audience who don't know who Larry Wingett is, let me tell you the titles of some of his books, and you'll get a sense of his personality. Number one, You're Broke Because You Want to Be. He also got a book called Shut Up and Stop Whining and Get a Life. Grow a Pair, (laughs) How to Stop Being a Victim and Take Back Your Life, Your Business, and Your Sanity. The Gospel of Larry, Words to Inspire, Provoke, Educate, and Entertain. And what's wrong with darn near everything? We say darn because it's a clean podcast. So this is the personality you're going to be entertained today, folks. This is an incredible interview. I'm so thrilled to have Larry on the podcast because he is a no BS kind of guy. He's going to tell you the way it is, and you may be a little uncomfortable, but uh, get ready because he's going to blow you out of the water. Right, Larry? Well, we'll see. I never predict much of anything. We'll just look backwards and say it was good, or we'll look backwards and say it wasn't. So there you go. It sounds good to me. Well, I know that you're a proficient speaker. You are, you know, you've been on MSNBC and all these other TV networks. How do you maintain, make sure that you stay on, stay in control of your day? Because obviously you can get calls at the last minute from the networks and what have you. So how do you make sure you're in control of your day instead of letting your day just run away like a train? Well, I'm real clear about what I won't do and what I will do. I think that's the biggest problem with most people in every single area of their life and their business, and that's why they have so much trouble. You know, if I could look back and say, what's the one thing I wish I'd gotten clear on quicker uh, in my entire career and in my life, I would say get really clear about what I will put up with and what I won't put up with. So I know I can tell you three years from now, what I will put up with and what I won't put up with. That will never vary for me. I have absolute clarity about what I want from my life and from my day and from the next hour. So would you say that people are always trying to, they don't want to do what you do, determine what they'll settle for and what they won't because they're afraid they're going to miss out on something, so they want to do everything? Well, 
Yeah, I would say that. I think that most people live their lives in fear, and I think fear runs the world. We talk about what really runs the world. It's fear. People do everything they do because they're afraid of something. The only reason you wear a watch is because you're afraid of being late. The only reason you have an alarm clock is because you're afraid you'll sleep in. Everything's based on fear. And sadly, these days, most entrepreneurs, most of which never should have become an entrepreneur to begin with, they should have kept a job. Most entrepreneurs live their life on fear, so they end up saying yes to way too much. That's one of the mistakes most of the guys who are my age and been doing whatever they do for a long time, they look back and say they said yes to too many things. I think when you get clear about what you're willing to say no to, that's when real success happens. I love that. Getting clear. And I think you know, I've fallen victim to this when you start out as an entrepreneur. I was kind of forced into it. But I've already told that story ad nauseum on the podcast. But the thing is, is you, you have to get clear. You, your vision has to be clear. And I have no doubt, based on what you said and what I've known about you and read your books, that you're crystal clear of what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to. Now, if anybody's listening to this podcast and they're thinking about being an entrepreneur, let's say they go to corporate world every day and they work hard, but it's not really their passion. What would you tell them if they wanted to make that jump into being an entrepreneur? Keep your day job. <laughs> okay. No, I'm serious. 99.99999% of all the people become entrepreneurs shouldn't have. First of all, they did just what you said, Mark. They did it because that's their passion. Anybody who does anything because of their passion is an idiot. They need to look up the definition of the word passion in the dictionary. It is defined as a barely controllable emotion. Why would you want a barely con controllable emotion predicting your future or having anything to do with your business? You go into business because you're good at it. You do not go to into business because you love it. Your passion is your business. The value you bring to the marketplace is what the customers will value and what you will be paid for. Passionate people go broke. People who are excellent at what they do and work hard at what they do make a good living. All these entrepreneurs and all these stupid entrepreneurial podcasts and programs out there are saying, follow your passion. It's the dumbest advice in the world. I always ask those passionate people, Mark, how many books have you read about marketing? How many books have you read about selling? Do you know how to read? A, a balance sheet. What do you know about leadership? Have you ever hired and fired and managed people? Did you get into business because you were passionate or did you get into it because you were prepared? We always sit around and say, look at the huge numbers of businesses that close in the first two years and then more close in the next five. And then by seven years, you only got less than 10% left. Why is that? Because they didn't know what they were doing and they shouldn't have gone into business to begin with. I love it. It's a really clear message you're bringing it to us today, Larry. And I tell people when they say, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. I say, well, don't go in it for the money because when you, when you quit your day job to say what you said, and then you go into being an entrepreneur, you're the janitor, you're the CEO, you're the salesperson, you're the marketer, you're everything. And there's no Susie secretary in the background or anything. You have to do everything. And far too many people think they're going to be an entrepreneur to make tons and tons of money. And that may come down the line, but it's a long time down the line. Yeah, typically is a long time down the line. And mostly, as I said, people are not prepared. Their brother-in-law says, you're good at this. You ought to do this for a living. Well, your brother-in-law is an idiot, too. Doesn't mean that there's a market for it out there. What kind of analysis have you done to see if there's a need for what you have to offer, where you're offering it? 
What kind of uh, analysis have you done about your competition? How does your product or your service or how do you differentiate yourself? Differentiation is something everybody, uh, nobody ever really takes much time to think about. But if you can't differentiate yourself and be really clear about how you're going to do it differently or what you do is different than everybody else, then you become a commodity. And commodity is always about pricing. So you're going to have to be cheaper than everybody else. And I'm sorry, you're not Walmart. You're not big enough to be Walmart. Being cheaper than everybody else is a quick way to go broke unless you've got that kind of volume. You can't make it up in volume as a typical entrepreneur. So people need to stop, check their passion at the door, and think about how prepared they are, how good they are, and how willing they are to work hard. People become entrepreneurs, and again, I listen to all these idiots out there saying, oh, but it'll give you freedom. No, it won't. Anybody who's ever started their business, as you said, there's no freedom. You got more freedom going to work at eight and going home at five and letting the other guy be responsible for making sure you get your paycheck on Friday than you'll ever have as an entrepreneur. I agree 100%. And one of the kills me, uh, I'm sure you've seen these LinkedIn profiles. It says speaker, comma, coach, comma, best-selling author. What value does that give to me? I mean, what do you, that doesn't tell me what you do. And as you know, we live in a 24 7, 365 world where we're bombarded by messages all day. And I got, you have like a split second for me to grab my attention to read your profile. Just saying you're a speaker, so what? Doesn't mean you're a good speaker. Doesn't mean that you know what you're talking about. It just says you just claimed yourself to be a speaker. Yeah, and all those people who claim to be best-selling authors, all they did was hit a subcategory of a subcategory of a subcategory of a category of books on Amazon for one hour, and it only takes 10 books to hit number one in the first hour. And uh, so they are not real best-selling authors. I trash people all the time who claim to be best-selling authors. What list have you hit? Amazon? It's not a best-seller list. It's a bookstore. It's like saying you're the best-selling pair of underwear at Sears in the last hour. It's no more than that. I'm, I thank you for saying that because I've been saying that for so long, but you are truly a best-selling author. And when I hear best-selling author, it better be on New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or USA Today. And I'm not talking about a sub, sub, sub category like you mentioned. I'm talking about you actually made the top 100 list. And I know you have. And it really burns me when people say, I'm an international bestseller. I'm like, I've never heard of your book. I've never heard of you. So how are you a best-selling author? So, but it means more coming from you, Larry, than it does me because you are a best-selling author. Yeah, and I tell them all the time, if you're going to claim bestseller status in front of me, you better be able to say where you were on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or USA Today list. Otherwise, you're not. And, you know, it, I always remind people of that great story, and if people don't believe me, they can Google it, where the guy took a picture of his foot and put it on Amazon and made it a number one Amazon bestseller. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, Google it. He took a picture of his foot, put it on Amazon, and made it a number one bestseller for an hour. And so he can claim number one Amazon bestseller status. Here's the problem. And that's just an example. And you talk about the speaker and all that. A guy the other day on LinkedIn proclaimed, I saw his thing, he was connected to me, that he was the number one motivational speaker in America. Really? So I wrote it and said, how... How did you get to be the number one motivational speaker in America? By the way, I looked at your profile. You've only been doing this for three years. You also claim to have given over 3,000 speeches. I did the math on that. Really, you're doing three speeches a day every single day for the last three years. That's not true. You didn't do that. 
You didn't do 3,000 speeches in the last three years. You were selling suits at Joseph A. Banks three years ago. And who voted you number one motivational speaker in America? Was there a list? I didn't see the list. Where did Zig Ziglar show up on the list? Where'd Brian Tracy, where'd Jim Rohn show up on the list? By the way, I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm pretty well known. Did I make the list? How did you, after three years, get to be number one? And of course, he just blocked me and banned me. <laughs> but see, if you look at the internet, and the internet's probably the worst thing to happen to entrepreneurism and, and really consumerism out there because we live in a world of hyperbole. You get to say whatever you want to about yourself, and, and that's really a shame because there's a huge group of naive consumers out there who will believe you, and they'll spend money with you, and they will get burned. In the old days, prior to be able to being able to say whatever you wanted to about yourself, you had to prove your worth. You had to prove your value by actually being good. And that's changed. Yeah. There, there is a couple people on LinkedIn and I won't mention their names, but they say they are top of the iTunes podcast charts. Now, if you're really good at Apple Podcasts, you know that they told you a year ago it's no longer called iTunes. They want it to be called Apple Podcasts. So if you're saying that you're on the cutting edge on Apple Podcasts and you still refer to iTunes, that right there as a podcaster myself is a red flag because you don't know what you're talking about because this came out a year ago, not last week, a year ago. So I'm always like sending messages. I said, you know, they don't call it iTunes anymore. Really? You're supposed to be the cutting edge of the latest and greatest podcast, and you don't even know what Apple's saying. So I agree with you 100% on that, Larry. Well, you know, about that one, I'm, I'm going to defend that a little bit. I, I got a pretty good podcast out there myself, and I don't call it Apple Podcast because a bunch of old guys out there still call it iTunes because that's where they'll go to listen to it. What it's called, because I don't handle any of it. All I do is record them and flip them over to a guy to handle. I'm sure he knows that it's Apple Podcast. And if you're doing it yourself, you probably should know and would know. Me, I consider myself the talent. I'll do the podcast and then hire somebody to do the rest. And I don't need to know what it's called. I just need to provide value. And that's what we all need to focus on more. Do we provide value through what we do? You talked about connecting with, with people on LinkedIn. You're right. You don't have long. And every every bit of success we have is based on the exchange of value. If I prove I have value to me, then you will share your value, which is your money, by giving it to me for what I value, which is my product and service. So let's talk about a typical day for you. I know you're a speaker. I know you do podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. How does a, a typical day look like from you from the time you wake up? I'm assuming you don't grab the uh, the scotch and the stogie first thing in the morning. Am I right? I just grab one of those first thing in the morning. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Uh, a, a perfect day for me. See, again, I know what I want my days to look like. I traveled over 250 days a year for over 20 years. I, I was doing 120 speeches a year, which puts you on the road twice that much to make them happen. Uh, I got tired of that. So my days don't quite look like they once used to. I do a lot of coaching from my home. A lot of pe people pay to come into my offices and sit across from me. So my days don't look like they used to, uh, quite like they used to. But the average day for me that I'm not on the road, I get up about 6.30. 
I will uh, play with my dogs. I always review the news because, as you said, I can get asked at the last minute to go on Fox News or Fox Business or one of the other stations. And so I need to know what happened overnight and what's happened on the East Coast since I'm three hours earlier. And so I always check the news feeds and uh, get caught up of what's going on in the world. And then about 7.30, I do head out to my patio, and I'll start catching up on my uh, social media stuff. I'll grab a cup of coffee and a cigar, and that's how I'll spend the next hour. All of my work, most of it at least, starts about 9 o'clock in the morning, whether it be coaching or podcasts or uh, the interviews I'm going to do or any of that stuff. starts about 9 o'clock in the morning, and then my goal every single day is to be finished by 2 o'clock. So I believe at this point in my life, I can stay rich and just work from 9 o'clock until 2 o'clock. As someone who's written so many books that are brutally honest, and you have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world, what, were you, what would you say are some of the biggest problems people have for not being productive? I mean, I have my list as a productivity guy, but what do you see? Well, that they haven't planned today, yesterday. They wait until they get up and say, well, I wonder what I'm going to do today. You know, that's how people run their businesses. That's how they raise their kids. They had all that fun making that baby, and then they don't have any idea how to raise that kid so he'll grow up and be responsible. We have all that passion that drives us to start our own business, and then we're in business, and we go, gee, uh, I don't really know what to do. And we have the same way we run our lives, the same way we run our marriages, the same way we do most things is we don't plan in advance what we want it to look like. And that's what we need to do. I know what tomorrow's going to look like today. I know when I go to bed at night exactly what tomorrow's going to look like. And this is what I do. I know the most important thing that must be done. From a productivity standpoint, we try to do too much. And we end up doing the easy things or the things that don't matter very much. I say always pick. So at the end of the day, you're saying if nothing else in the world gets done, that has to happen. I know what that is, and I don't care what goes on in my life or what might come up. If I have said that has to happen, I make sure that happens. So I don't get caught up in the trivial and the things that don't really matter or move me closer to where I want to be. I make sure that happens. Your friend, I'm sure you know Brian Tracy. He's got a book called Eat That Frog. I'm assuming you you subscribe to that point of view. Yeah, I do believe you do the ugliest thing, but the ugliest thing is not always the most important thing. And that's what I talk about. When I look at all the things I have to do, does it move me closer to my goals? Is it something that I made a commitment about? Have I given my word? I will keep my word no matter what. And see, that's the other part. My commitments are serious. I have a commitment to my commitments. And so Eat the Frog is based on you always do the ugliest thing first thing in the morning. My approach is a little different in that I say you do the most important thing. And at some point, you got to understand what the most important thing always is. Did you give your word that you would do it? Well, then you do it. Is it something that's going to make you money? Then you do that. So that's what it comes down to. I think a lot of people, you know, I'm a real big user of to-do lists, but I think the problem with a to-do list, like you said, you could put 12 things on your to-do list. 11 of the things really don't need to get done, or they may take you a total of five minutes. You get the 11 things done, but that one big thing gets moved till tomorrow and the day after the day after, but you, we tend to feel good because, hey, I got 11 to 12 things done, but we really didn't get done what we really needed to get done. And I think we add these stupid things to our to-do list just so we can feel like we've accomplished something. 
Yeah, it's all about our feelings and our emotions again. And we need to keep our emotions out of our business. I used to sell these little pads called to get done list. Told everybody to throw away their to-do list. Nobody cares what you do. They only care what you get done. You're not rewarded for what you do. You're rewarded for what you get done. To-do lists focus on activity. To get done lists focus on accomplishment. And so I sold these little to get done lists because that's what's really important. What are you getting done? What are you finishing? Not what you're starting. And are the things that you're getting done the most important things? And always know what the number one most important thing is and then have two backups. So you have three most important things every single day. What do you do on those days when you're just not feeling it? Maybe you get sick or maybe you had some, uh, I don't know, calls that didn't happen or coaching calls and your day gets derailed. How do you get back on track or do you just say, listen, I'm just going to take the rest of the day off. I've, I've earned it. How do you handle that? Got overwhelm? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at overwhelmsucks.com. That doesn't happen to me. That's never happened to me. If I give my word, I keep my word. Nothing stands between it and me and getting it done. I mean, I take contracts to give speeches uh, two and three years out. And there's no clause in there that says, boy, I hope you feel good the day you do it or you're in the mood, Larry. No, I made a deal. And a deal's a deal. I keep my word no matter what. I've stood on stages giving speeches before and said, y'all hold on just one minute. Turned my mic off, walked backstage, threw up in a trash can because I had the flu and came back out and finished the speech. When you give your word, you keep your word, period. How you feel about doing it doesn't matter. I don't care how you feel. You serving me has nothing to do with you and your attitude or your physical health. You do what you promised me you would do as your customer. That's the way I look at it. Now, if I've got an open day, like it's a day where I'm going to write or something like that, and it's not hitting me that day, I've learned that you can't push a rope and you can't push writing either. So if uh, the muse is not with you, I don't force it. I walk away. But those are two different things. Well, I really appreciate you talking about commitment because I don't know how old you are. I'm 50. I'll be 53 in a couple of weeks. And I remember life before the internet and before cell phones, as I know you do. And back then, it seems like people's word and commitment meant more. Now people just say whatever they want to say on social media. It may or may not be true. And nobody really honors their word. And I, I think that's so admirable to say, hey, listen, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I think more people need to hear that message. And First of all, if you don't think you're going to do it, don't commit to doing it, because that's essentially what you're saying, right? Absolutely. I have my number one rule. It's called Larry's number one rule for life and business, and it's very, very simple. Do what you said you would do when you said you would do it the way you said you would do it. That's it. And that's what I believe everybody ultimately wants. When you do business with a company, you want that company to do what they said they would do when they said they would do it the way they said they would do it. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. By the way, what do you want from your kids? You want your kids to do what they said they would do when they said they would do it the way they said they would do it. Yep. That's how you parent. By the way, what do your kids want from you as the parent? The very same thing. What do we want from our husband, our wife, our friends? It's based in honesty and it's based in integrity. And those are, you know, my last book is about the collapse of core values. Those core values are what we're missing. If you say it, you do it. 
There is no excuse good enough. You you better have a death in the family or your dog got run over or something like that before you don't keep your word to me or you won't get a second chance. Why do you think that people uh well we don't have really core values anymore. Why do people why do you think people don't keep their commitments anymore? You know, they'll say they're going to do it but they don't do it. You think it's a uh I don't know, a symptom or a society, or you think it's it's just the way it is, or what do you think that's causing that? Well, what do you mean we don't have core values anymore? Well, I mean, a lot of people they're kind of wishy washy. They'll they're like chameleons. They'll they'll have this they'll have this value with this group of people. They go over here and totally different values. So they're not they don't have anything in concrete. They're constantly changing their value to appease other people that they're hanging out with. Well. That there are core values out there, and I can spend five minutes with you, or I can go talk to your kids, or I can look in uh, your checkbook and your credit card and see how you spend your money, and I know your core values. What you're talking about are situational and conditional core values, and that's everywhere. You know, if you ask the any parent, and I don't care who they are, you ask your parent, do you want your kids to lie? And they will go, well, no, I value honesty. And I tell my kids they got to always tell the truth. Really? 27% of Americans cheat on their taxes. So it's okay for your kid to tell the truth all the time, but you don't have to with the government. See, that's conditional and situational core value around honesty. We want everybody else to be honest. We want everybody else to have integrity. And we will sometimes if it suits us. And that's kind of what you're talking about. The reason that happens is because there's a huge lack of consequences right now in society. Really, consequences drive behavior. If there are no consequences, people will do whatever they can get by with. If there are consequences, well, then consequences will determine what people can get by with. And we live in a society right now where we've removed most of the consequences. I mean, you could buy more house. Look at it during that what people call the housing crisis. Buy more house than you can afford because you lied on your stated income in order to get the loan. And uh, then don't make your payments on it. And that's okay. We'll forgive you. In fact, we'll come to the we'll come to your rescue and give you some money to help you out of that situation, poor baby. When you said that, it made me think about here in Houston, we have these uh, tollways. And if you're caught, the first time offense is like 25 or 50 bucks. Well, if you're late for a meeting and you live in the west side of Houston, and if you wait in the traffic, you're going to be late by an hour and a half. It's worth the chance of spending 50 bucks to go down the toll lane with nobody else in the car. But if they made it a $5,000 fine, now people are going to start thinking because the consequences are going to be greater. Is that what you're basically saying? I'm saying anytime there's a consequence where it hurts more to not keep your word than it does to keep your word, and I'm just using keep your word as an example, then you'll do it. it there has to be some pain involved. I agree with that. I remember uh, I used to watch Judge Judy, and Judge Judy said, if you uh, if you have a good memory, if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. And what happens is when people start lying, then they don't know what lie they told to what person. So now they start building upon the lie, upon the lie, upon the lie. And then they're utterly confused, and they could have avoided all this problem. They would have told the truth. When I was a kid, if I used to lie to my mom, and she said, did you do this? If I lied, I would get in trouble twice. Once 
for doing it and the other consequence because I lied to her and she found out about it a week later. And that's exactly what you're saying. The consequence has got to be greater. Now, I came from a generation where I would get hit if I was a, a kid. Nowadays, you can't even look at your kid the wrong way. You'd be in trouble, which I think is a different topic for a different day. But I think we need to have more consequences because there's no pain involved. Exactly right. I did write a New York Times best-selling parenting book all about that very thing that we <laughs> will have to say for another day. But sadly, we do live in a society that is opposed to imposing consequences. And that's sad because it's human nature to do whatever you can get by with. And the more we let people buy with things, the more they'll do things. And when there's a consequence involved and there's pain involved, then we can curtail the bad behavior. You know, that's not a popular thing right now. As you said, everybody's in trouble for trying to impose a, uh, a consequence. I just finished reading uh, Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within for the second time. And at the end of the book, he talks about the problems. Now, keep in mind, this book was written, listener, back in 1993. He talks about the problem with the prison system. And, and Tony's big thing is as pain versus pleasure. He says the problem with the prison system is there's not enough pain staying there. The recidivism, I had to say, trouble saying that word, here in America is so high, but if you go over to Europe, it's so low because they don't make prison like joyful. You can't get college degrees and you can't watch TV and all this other stuff. Here, it's like the people come out and they want to get back in there because they get three square meals and they get their, their time outside and they get to play games and stuff like that. And, and I... What do you think about that? Do you think that part of the problem with our with the is goes back to consequences really is because there's not enough pain inside prison that you get used to that culture? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, that's the way it is in the workforce too. Try to impose consequences on an employee these days who's not doing the right thing. Well, then you fire him and he'll sue you. And that's why we have so many lousy employees in the workplace right now is we're afraid to fire them. We are letting the employees determine how we run our business and we keep them on the payroll so it undermines our overall success. They can be lousy with our customers. They can bring down our good employees and undermine our credibility as a leader simply because it's more trouble to fix them, uh, to not fix them and uh, not fire them. And that's what it comes down to. There's there's too much pain for the good guy and not very much pain for the bad guy. Let me uh, ask you this. What are your thoughts on social media? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think Americans are, or worldwide actually, are becoming part of this digital world that they're not really paying attention to what's going on outside of it? You, you know, everything... Uh Pretty much almost everything has an upside and a downside, and there's a huge downside to social media. One is the hyperbole that I spoke of earlier. The other part is the anonymity, and we live in a society of keyboard cowards where people can say whatever they want to without consequence. You remember back, you were talking about you're not that much younger than I am. When we were kids... If somebody said something ugly to you like that, you'd bust them in the face. <laughs> and then tomorrow, it'd all be okay. You'd be best friends again. But we didn't put up with things. And now people on social media can hide behind their anonymity, hide behind their keyboards, and say the most horrible things. I recently just backed way off of social media because of the ugliness. Now, I've been putting up, you know, when you're Larry Wingate and you say these kind of black and white things like I do and have my sort of approach, you're going to get a lot of pushback. I'm used to that. I don't care what people say about me. I'm big boy. But 
But when people start attacking my kids and my wife and even my dogs, I said, folks, we've gone too far. You know, I have people, uh, and the reason I walked away, I have people saying, you know, I, I hope your wife has bad things happen to her, and your kids get shot, and you die of cancer. And it was all because of a story I did about how we need to raise our kids better and teach them about showing up on time and being respectful of authority and all that. And I thought, that sort of story brings out that kind of hate in you, and you think it's okay to say that on the internet? It's not okay to say that anywhere in life, and that's the downside of social media. It's okay, and this goes back to what we've been talking about, Mark. It's a lack of consequences. You can't find these people. You don't even know who these people are. They're probably not using their real name, and they can make up an email address and say horrible things to you and get by with it. And when you can get by with it, you'll do it. That's where we are. I remember my first job. I think I was like 17 years old. I worked for a company called Gold Circle. They were up in the Northeast for a couple of years. And I was still in high school. And I remember the first time I showed up late, I got called in the office. I was so scared. Nowadays, I go to Walmart and the kids are like on their phone when they're supposed to be checking me out. I'm like, I would never. Of course, we didn't have cell phones and I worked at Gold Circle, but they they don't care anymore. And and I talked to the manager once at local Walmart and they said, not only won't these kids call in, if a party comes in the last minute, they just won't show up. They don't care. And it's like, these are the future leaders of our country, which really scares the crap out of me. And it should. Listen, I did a story the other day on boxing friends about how college graduates these days are changing the workplace and how all of these companies are having to change their hours of employment because because it's just too much trouble to get up and show up for work at 8 o'clock. So the new hours of employment start either 10 or 11. 10 or 11. And so we're saying, okay, college graduate, you've been pampered your whole life, haven't been expected, there's no expectation that you get up at a certain time and be anywhere at a certain time. There's no downside. There's no consequence. And so we're going to change the way we do business to make sure you're happy. Instead of you changing the way you live to make sure the business runs the way it has run for hundreds of years, possibly. My goodness, that is that is unbelievable. It's uh, I don't know if you follow sports or, or at all, but I always feel that the owners should be the person that makes the rules. And now it seems like in all the major sports league, the same thing's happening. They're catering to the players. Michael Jordan retired from the NBA. The NBA kept going on. I mean, Tom Brady will eventually retire from football you know, another 20 years or so, and the football league will keep going on. And the players are not the league. I mean, they are a key component, but the owners have more to stake because the owners have been there before the star players. They're there now, and they'll be there long afterwards. And I think we have to get back to control where the owners are in charge, just like an owner of a company. They need to be in charge, not the employees. The schools need to be in charge, not the, not the, uh, the students. You know, the last story I did on the news was the story about the cheerleader. Did you hear that story? I did not. Oh, it was a high school that all the little girls went out in the high school and tried out to be a cheerleader. And one of the girls didn't make it. She wasn't good enough. And her mama complained to the school board and to the school and to the principal, whined so much that the school caved and said, here's what we're going to do. Either everybody gets to be a cheerleader or nobody gets to be a cheerleader. And the story I did, and, and I responded to what happened, uh, well, first of all, what are we teaching the kids who did work hard enough to achieve what they wanted to do? I mean, they put in the hours, they, did, they had the talent. We're teaching them 
What you did, the hard work you put in, that doesn't matter. Then we're teaching that child, that daughter who got on the squad, even though she wasn't good enough, we're teaching her that if you whine loud enough and complain loud enough, you can get what you want. We're teaching that to succeed, you don't have to be talented, you don't have to work hard, you just have to complain loud enough. That's what's going on right now in society. And that's why I agree with you, schools have to get back in charge. See, I blame, yeah, the mother's an idiot, but there are a lot of stupid mothers out there doing stupid things like that. Everybody's had, and that's been going on since the beginning of time. But there was a time when the school system would have stood up and had some backbone and not cave. So you're right. Schools need to get back in charge. Employers need to get back in charge. I take a lot of pushback for this, saying I don't care anything about the employees. No, I care about the bottom line. Companies exist to make money. That's it. That's why they started the business. Businesses exist to be profitable. It's the company's profits that keeps everybody's pay, everybody paid. And if you don't, do not contribute to the profitability of the company, then you have become an expense to me and I need to fire you. But you can't say that these days because the new generation believes that businesses don't exist to be profitable. They exist to take care of their employees. I got a feeling you're not a fan of the schools these days that say a trophy for everybody. Even the little uh, little baseball and soccer leagues, everybody gets a trophy now. Here's what ha what happens is that when everybody gets a trophy, you've never learned to experience any pain, any disappointment. And life is about disappointment. Life is about losing. You're going to lose a whole lot more than you win. You're going to be disappointed a whole lot more in life by things that happen to you, then you're ever going to experience the thrill of victory. You're going to feel the agony of defeat. That's what life is about. That's what business is about. So we train these kids that they never have to lose. In fact, by the way, I did another story that says, you know what the number one sport among young children is these days? Do you know what it is, Mark? I'm going to guess soccer. Yoga. <laughs> really? And when I did the story, they said, what do you think, Larry? And I said, first of all, yoga is not a sport. And they said, how do you know? I said, because nobody's keeping score. <laughs> uh, sports, you keep score. And the, the issue behind that, and, this, and it supports what I'm saying here, is that mamas and daddies want their kids to do yoga instead of team sports because you can do it by yourself and you can be as bad at it as you want and you always win. That way you never have to experience loss or disappointment or failure. And yet, uh, what happens when you get into the real world? You get into the real world and you don't get the job. You get into the real world and you get fired because you can't do the job. You ask a girl out and she says no, and she says no, and she says no. And how do you retaliate because you've never been told no before? Well, you get a gun and you go shoot up school. So this culture of trophies for everybody, the culture of it's okay to be disrespectful on the internet. We've created a culture of entitlement and disrespect. And that, in my opinion, is what leads to a culture of violence because we can't cope. And we're not teaching our kids to cope because they always win. I remember the first time I went to, a, I think it was a little league baseball game. And I said, well, who's winning? Oh, we don't keep score. Like, what do you mean you don't keep score? Oh, we don't want to, just like what you were just saying, we don't want to offend any of the kids. So we don't keep score. 
So these kids are out there playing inning after inning, running around the bases, catching fly balls, and they have no idea who wins because they don't keep score. They don't keep track of the standings. What kind of mess is that showing the kids? I mean, we're not talking about four-year-olds. We're talking kids 10, 11, 12 years old. They don't know about winning and losing, which is exactly what you just said. Here's what I bet. I bet the kids keep score. Oh, yeah. Those kids know who's winning. Those kids know who's losing. They know. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Larry, any final thoughts before we wrap up today? <laughs> <laughs> I could final thought for the rest of the day, Mark. <laughs> I know you could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's what I would tell people. I, I would sort of end it the way I started it. If you pulled your emotions out, and you really look at what's going to make you successful, it does come down to hard work, excellence, and adding value to the lives and businesses of others. I would ask everybody to examine whether they got a job or whether they're an entrepreneur or not. Am I working hard? Am I good at what I do? And am I adding value? If you're doing those three things, your chances of success go way up. That doesn't have to do anything to do with whether you love it whether you like it, whether you're following your bliss, finding your purpose, or following your passion. It has to do with what's in it for the other guy because you're always going to be paid in direct proportion to how well you serve the other guy. That's where our focus needs to be in business. Amen. Well, where can we find you online, Larry? You know, if you can spell my name, you can find me online. <laughs> it's just LarryWinget.com. I'm all over uh, all the social media sites as well. And uh, there's a bunch of free stuff on my site. I do a podcast. Just go to LarryWinget.com. You'll get it all. Yeah, and I will tell you, listener, that Larry is an awesome guy because he came on the podcast. But he also is one of the very few people in our world today that does not coddle you. He will tell you the brutal, honest truth. And I think that's so refreshing this day and age. So, Larry, thank you so much for honoring us with your presence on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention. Before you go, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you have not subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player of choice, would you do that right now? This way, every time a new episode comes out, you will be informed. Second thing is, while you are subscribing, please consider leading a rating and a review. This helps the podcast get discovered. And the third thing, I know I'm asking a lot of you. The third thing is, if you know of someone who can use this episode right now, why don't you just share it with them? Every podcast player that I'm aware of makes it really easy to share an episode. So if you're thinking of a family, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend who needs to hear this episode, go ahead and hit that share button and send this podcast to them right away so I can help them like I I helped you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back real soon with a brand new episode.